refugees and border walls, woke celebs and socialist chick, social engineering and COVID lockdowns. It's easy to get wound up over what's happening in our country and in the world. That's why it's time for Acton Unwind, a weekly roundtable discussion tackling current events from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Every Monday, join host Eric Cohn and Acton Institute experts, including Dr. Samuel Gregg, Reverend Robert Sirico, Dr. Stephen Barrows, and more in this weekly audio public square where news, politics, religion, and culture meet for an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. Acton Unwind will explain the news of the week through the Acton Institute's unique perspective, connecting good intentions with sound economics as it works to promote and to shape a society that is secure, free, and virtuous, one characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org slash NR or search Acton Unwind on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are available. That's Acton org slash nr to subscribe please check it out welcome to you mad dogs and englishmen bonus makeup edition charlie how you doing today i'm doing well Charlie, I have several things we want to talk about, but one thing that was sort of on my mind, I was thinking about you in particular because it highlights a, a difference between us and sort of, um, you know, personality and and just the way we go about our, our lives, which is that you are a tinkerer. You like to take stuff apart and improve it and mess with it and sort of do it yourself or in some ways, whereas I am the opposite. I believe very, very strongly in specialization and uh, division of labor i don't even change my own guitar strings i take it in and have someone else do it and you know have them look over the instrument make sure everything's okay i like to consult uh experts on things i'm sort of i'm good at one thing and i do that thing and everything else i I try to farm out to other people so but i'm kind of stupid in some ways and so i've had this problem with my uh, shoulder which has been hurting for a while and I know a lot of guys who are around my age who, you know, played football and done the same things I've done. They all have the same problem. You know, it's always a torn rotator cuff. You get an arthroscopic surgery for it. it. takes a couple of weeks to recover. And that's that. No big deal. So I figure I'll just, you know, do this thing, take care of it eventually. But I don't have time to, you know, uh, have a couple of weeks off. So I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And finally, I went and saw a um, doctor about it. And he's like, well, Dr. Williamson, you're completely wrong about this. All you need is a shot. 10 minutes, $185, and uh, and the thing is fixed. So normally, I always try to go consult expert opinion, but for some reason on this one, I thought I knew uh, what I was talking about and went months and months and months without uh, getting something taken care of that turned out to be relatively easy to uh, do. So I'm kind of feeling stupid about that. Ah, but also presumably pretty good about it because you don't have to have surgery and take two weeks off. That is true, too. More like, you know, sort of six to eight weeks of not really being able to use your... Um, your arms very well after arthroscopic surgery so um yeah all uh much better that way i think one of the reasons i tinker for what it's worth is not just to improve things or to to save money but that i'm consumed until i know how they work that might be, really, must be a personality sort of a, question sort of an obsessive compulsive thing with you gotta take this apart and see how it works i i, I don't know it was if... like that he used to take things apart when we were kids like telephones and 
toys and things like that, and you would take them apart and put them back together. I, I don't know if I'd call it obsessive compulsive, but I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways that you get into this. One, my brain does work that way. I think I really want to know how that works, and then I start reading, and then you end up down a rabbit hole. The other way is things break, and then you look at them and you say, "Well, I wonder why it's broken." And once I get to that point, I lose my mind. I I, I have to know. <laughs> and often when I was a kid, I was the one to break something in the first place, and I needed to get myself out of I trouble. Bet you were. <laughs> I mean, for example, when I was maybe ten, I broke our computer. I don't know how I did it, but I broke our computer, and this was really in the the infancy of the internet and i thought well i wonder if i can fix this by searching for it now there was no google then but there was an array of of search engines and i looked it up and sure enough most of the people on the internet then were academics or engineers who worked at universities and there's a page about how to fix this error so i took the computer apart i took two my dad had one and my mom had one i took the computer apart and i broke it even worse or rather i fixed the initial (laughs) issue but then i didn't know how to put it back together because i stupidly i was young i stupidly hadn't made a note of where things had been plugged in i see and Disk drives in those days were a lot less easy than they are now, and they had all sorts of options, and there were master-slave options, and it mattered where you put these pins. Anyway, and so I went on AOL, and I searched in the directory for computer engineers, and I found one out in California, and I direct messaged him on AOL chat and said, Hi, I'm a 10-year-old boy. Living in England, I've broken one of the computers that we have. Uh, I need to put the disk drive back. And this man talked me through it. (laughs) So I fixed it. My parents knew because I told them. But from that moment on, I was fascinated with how they worked. And so I've retained that fascination. See, I've I've done that a couple of times through um, necessity. Or not really necessity, but self-inflicted necessity. When I was a, a broke, uh, stupid college student, I um, saw and fell in love with this car. It was a 1966 Volvo P1800, a little sports car Volvo used to make, and just a wonderful car. And I could not afford it, but I very stupidly bought it. And uh, I didn't know how to even drive a stick when I bought the car. I couldn't drive it. And I just really liked it. And it needed some work, so I got the, you know, Chilton's uh, manual and uh, you sort of methodically took the engine apart and all that stuff and did the engine rebuild and all that. And um, that's the only thing I know about this sort of thing. So sort of cars built before 1970 or so, uh, I can kind of understand how they're put together, at least if they're sort of built more or less like a Volvo. But um, other sorts of things, I just, you know, I'll change a tire if I have to. But um, normally, I just leave that sort of thing alone. Although I did once have a 1982 Honda Prelude, which is a great, great car. And uh, they developed some sort of electrical problem. But those cars were still simple enough that you could open the hood up and sort of run your finger along the wire from what wasn't working to the battery. And 
find out where the problem was in between those two places and fix it. So I felt like Mr. Goodwrench himself when I was able to uh, to solve that particular problem. But in general, no, I just um, I turn stuff over to the professionals when I can. So you can't do it. And taking apart an engine is, that's hardcore. Well, it's not so much, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen a Chilton's manual, they're, they're great because they're made for people who are not really handy or mechanically inclined. It's a very, you know, step-by-step, turn this wrench this many times, here's what this bolt looks like, here's why you're doing this sort of thing. They're really, really well done, at least they used to be. I haven't seen one in a long time. So, you know, in the, in, in the old days before, you know, cars were so heavily uh, computerized, you, know, you could sort of walk someone through that. Um, you know, in, in fact, it wasn't uncommon for people to do, you know, sort of consultations over the phone for people who had cars that were broken down in areas where there weren't, you know, mechanics handy. And, you know, be, look at this, look at that. And then, well, you'll see this thing that looks like this. And if it's, you know burned up looking then you've got to replace it and if it's not you turn it three times uh, counterclockwise and blah, blah 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 and that sort of thing um i knew a guy one time who apparently blew a head gasket in his car he was a very handy guy he's a phd in engineering now and he uh had a leather jacket that he loved very much but um he used to uh cut it into the shape of a head gasket and made himself a new head gasket out of his, his jacket <laughs> it's a pretty good story see that because he was in some place where he couldn't he had sort of an unusual car of some kind and uh, he was in some place where like well we can get you a new head gasket this could take six weeks to get here and so find a hotel you like and uh, he was able to do it that's pretty hardcore i can't do that sort of thing well my view is that if the apocalypse comes some of these skills will come in handy. Probably not the computer skills because there won't be any power. Right. Yeah. But the electrical but, um, skills yeah. do translate in some ways. And the, certainly the mechanical skills do. Yeah. And you're going to need these because you're about to be living in a fascist police state. <laughs> oh, Lord. What's going on in Florida there? What's the story all about? The hysteria around Ron DeSantis just baffles me. Mm. CNN has a story this morning which has subsequently been picked up by Axios and was also trumpeted by Jonathan Last at the Bulwark about the new civilian military force that Ron DeSantis has asked for in Florida that would number 200 people this apparently is the first goose step on the way to Floridian fascism. And you can tell that CNN's serious about it because it put it top of its website this morning and illustrated the piece with a picture of Donald Trump. Hmm. I'm going to read you the headline. So what actually Here's happened? The headline. DeSantis proposes a new civilian military force in Florida that he would control. Scary stuff. Hmm. So we think DeSantis is going to invade Cuba then. Or perhaps New York. And the, the first paragraph. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wants to establish a World War II era civilian military force that he, not the Pentagon, would control. What's that phrase you always use? Ministers of Grace? Angels and Ministers of Grace defend us. That's yeah. from Shakespeare. So, the second paragraph says... 
DeSantis pitched the idea Thursday as a way to further support the Florida National Guard during emergencies like hurricanes. The Florida National Guard... So you're talking about reviving a civilian defense corps? Well, yes. Let's, let's, just, let's just read on. Okay. The Florida Sorry, National Guard has also played a vital role during the pandemic in administering COVID-19 tests and distributing vaccines. So first off, this doesn't sound especially sinister, but I assumed it was unusual. Well, if you go down to the 10th paragraph, of course, hidden, you will discover this. States have the power to create defense forces separate from the National Guard. Yeah, you'd think so in a federalist system though not all of them use it. If Florida moves ahead with DeSantis's plan to re-establish the civilian force, so we've already had one, so it's not new, it would become the 23rd active state guard in the country, joining <laughs> California, Texas, and New York. So what we have here is a legitimate constitutional exercise of state power that is already the law in Florida, that is also active in California and New York, and half the states. So the problem, and you work this out quite quickly if you keep reading, is that when he announced it, DeSantis said that he wanted a specific Florida state guard that would, and I quote, be not encumbered by the federal government because he wants the, quote, flexibility and ability to respond to events in our state in the most effective way possible. Now, well, it seems entirely reasonable, given that while the National Guard is nominally under state control, the federal government can at any point federalize it, and, and, and sometimes does. So what we're supposed to be horrified by here is that the state government of Florida would be in charge of a state agency in Florida <laughs> and that this state agency would be, quote, civilian military. And what I can't work out is, if you're horrified by that, why would the federal versus state question come into play? Because Joe Biden is in charge of an absolutely enormous nuke-filled civilian military force. <laughs> So you've got 200 yeah. people in Florida who will be under the command of the governor, as, as is the case in California and New York and elsewhere. And this is supposed to inspire in us images of the Gestapo. Yet the president of the United States is the commander-in-chief of an extraordinarily large and uh, efficient military machine that has thousands of nuclear weapons. And we're supposed to say, that's where the power should lie. So I don't get it. So in what sense are these people a military force? I mean, they're they're armed and trained to do combat stuff, or they're just uh, sort of... I mean, they seem responders. to be more like emergency responders, but I think constitutionally what this is is a state-level National Guard that can't be federalized. And right. so... Okay. The, I mean, yeah, they're not... It's not really a military force but i mean again i just love these implications whenever it's ron DeSantis, you could write this story about the police and make it sound really sinister ron DeSantis is in charge of fifty thousand yes. heavily armed men who have the you're like okay 
with a domestic intelligence oversight surveillance program. It's just bizarre. Yeah, they've got to be in their bonnet about Ron DeSantis. And I understand... um, It's got to be encouraging if you're Ron DeSantis. I suppose so. But it's quite annoying if you're a Floridian. Because, you know, the polls may say whatever the polls say, but... Uh, obviously, there's a lot of folks in in the media who think that Ron DeSantis is the leading candidate for the Republican nomination next time around. I think that's right. And also, if you read that story, I mean, the implication there is he's going to be reelected as governor. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter because the yeah the state guard wouldn't come to fruition until then. Yeah. Speaking of Joe Biden and controlling nuclear weapons, I don't know if you noticed me writing this yesterday, but I did. I enjoyed it. Worried. <laughs> worried about this guy um you know so biden of course is as everybody knows has a habit of telling stories that are not what you would call true and sometimes just adopting wholesale episodes from other people's lives and um and making them his own um and of course he's a famous plagiarist and all the rest of the stuff and um you know there's a lot of sort of you know, prurient and, and lurid thing on the right sometimes of, you know, Joe Biden's a vegetable. He's an advanced dementia. Someone is pulling the strings from behind the curtain. Yada, yada, yada. I'm not quite there on that, but I think there is some reason to be concerned about the man's uh, mental state. And the problem with Biden, as I mentioned in my, my piece, is that he's such a habitual liar that it's hard to tell whether this is just Biden being Biden or Biden actually being delusional. But, you know, the two stories that he's been telling, you know, recently he's been repeating, and he's told these stories off and on for a while. One of them is about being a guy who used to drive tractor trailer, uh, you know, big rig, uh, which just never happened. It's just a completely imaginary thing. Uh, apparently, he did ride in one one time as part of a publicity thing. But, um, you know, he's never been a, a truck driver in spite of uh, on several occasions telling people that he, he has been. But the other one that he mentioned uh, this week, I guess was claiming that he had been a liaison between Golda Meir and the Egyptian government during the Six Days' War. Um, During the Six Days' War, of course, she wasn't prime minister. And during the Six Days' War, he was a law school student no one had ever heard of who was getting ready to finish almost at the bottom of his class because he got dinged for plagiarism. Uh, This is clearly a thing that just didn't happen um it didn't happen didn't come close to happening and he did later meet uh her after he was elected to the senate and there's a very amusing uh israeli intelligence assessment about his uh, performance there which they're saying yeah this guy doesn't have a lot of diplomatic experience and he tends to say the first thing that comes into his head and you know clearly is not someone to be relied upon so um he was not acting as a go-between between the israeli government and Egypt. Uh, so I don't know how much of this is just, you know, wanting to pat out his resume um, and make himself seem like a more impressive sort of person, you know, sort of on the cloak and dagger side, you know, this James Bond stuff of uh, being involved in the Six Days War and also the regular guy stuff. I used to drive a truck. Um, but it's just, if it's, if he's just lying about it, that kind of, you know, commitment to dishonesty is, is a sort of form of lunacy of itself. But if he's actually just confused about things, we need to be worried about that. And I've kind of, you know, always resisted this this sort of thing a little bit because 
but the sort of particularly ugly and boneheaded partisanship that tends to be attached to it. But I think it probably really is time that we have an independent assessment of his of his mental capacity. Um, obviously, you need a Democrat to to call for such a thing because um, Republicans can't really do it. And I don't know of any Democrats who have the um, courage and patriotism to to do so in the face of the political trouble that it would bring them. But I am slightly worried about this. So I think it's worth, at this point, establishing what is and isn't fair to comment on. Because every time that I even broach this topic, I get emails from people quoting a piece that I wrote criticizing the media in which I took issue with that disgraceful press conference during which Trump's doctor released his report. The crazy while, doctor? No, while he was president. And the press okay. said, what about, what about, what about, does he have this? I don't believe you, and so on. And I, I think every time I get those emails, that the, the people who have sent them have missed a point, which is, if Donald Trump started breathing heavily or sweating profusely during a press conference, if Donald Trump couldn't walk straight, if Donald Trump were falling over, it would not be remotely unreasonable to say what on earth is wrong with him. But what they were doing in that press conference was saying, well, we assume he must have something. We assume that he must have a terrible illness. And there was no evidence for it. And the same is true of Joe Biden. It, it, you know, Joe Biden today has a really bad cold or, or head cold. He admitted it this morning. This isn't speculation. He said he kissed his grandson or something and his grandson had a cold and now he can barely talk. It's not unreasonable for people to say, are you sick? Is there something wrong with you? You see, you sound terrible. And it's not unreasonable for you to say, the way he's talking, the stories he's inventing, the way he's repeating himself, the way he seems confused, these are causes for concern. What is unreasonable is is the sort of, Barry Goldwater must be a sociopath kind <laughs> of stuff. Or, yeah. or this... this um, yeah, the armchair uh, psychiatric diagnosis is always kind of worrisome right and i understand why people thought something was wrong with trump there is something wrong with trump well there's, there's a lot wrong with wrong trump with yeah but he's but, just stupid and angry he's right crazy. and he's a narcissist and and he's incapable of controlling his emotions and so on um and that's there's nothing wrong with criticizing him for all of that and there's equally nothing wrong with saying he's overweight which he is um what was what was grotesque about this was that the the White House doctor was saying, well, look, you know, here are his sodium levels. And <laughs> press kept standing up saying, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just don't think that's healthy, but uh, as it were. So there. Yeah, funny stuff. Um, so back to uh, DeSantis in Florida. Are, are you going to sign up for the new uh, <laughs> civilian defense thing? Kevin, how long do you think I would last in any role in which I had to obey orders oh you know i think you could do it if you really if you really cared about it uh especially if, they, if it came with a gun because we all we all I don't know need much. i live in florida i don't need to sign up for something <laughs> to have a gun they hand them out at the border yes i know i know you've got a, got a few of them by the way i was doing a little inventory of my we uh, this will actually lead us to our next subject i was doing a little inventory of my my collection the other day this gets out of hand in a hurry um i've got more more firearms than I thought I did. Um, speaking of which, do you want to talk about the um, safe storage laws and such in this uh, 
situation where these parents have been indicted after a oral shooting. Yeah, so this is this school shooting in Michigan. And prosecutors announced today they were bringing charges against the parents for just leaving the gun around. Now, quick caveat. I believe this was the case I was writing about where NPR talked about the police removing an alleged firearm from the scene. Really? (laughs) Alleged firearm? Kind of looks like a gun. People got shot. Police think it's a gun. Can we have some confidence and just go ahead and say it's a firearm? But journalese. Anyway. Well, I, I need to look more closely into the story and i can't yet because they haven't released all of the details but as a general principle as a general principle i don't have a problem with prosecuting people if their negligence leads to a crime uh it it's not entirely clear here what happened but for example in north florida where i live the single most common source for a gun that is used in a crime by a criminal who is not allowed to own a gun is someone's car. The police here are always putting out uh, pleas, saying, if you're going to leave your car on the street overnight, please take your gun out of it first, or at the very least, lock the doors and the glove box. And I would not have a particular problem charging people with a crime if they leave a gun in an unlocked car out on the street and that gun is then stolen and used. Likewise, if, as seems to have happened here, although again, the the devil will be in the details, if these parents really did leave a handgun around so that their 15-year-old could just find it and take it to school. I think there is some moral and legal culpability there. Now, you can take it too far because sometimes states and jurisdictions such as Washington, D.C. will uh, use safe storage laws as a, a way of essentially ensuring that anyone who has a gun in their own home has to keep it so locked down that they couldn't use it. And that somewhat... Removes the point of having a gun. I mean, in the Heller decision, for example, the DC law, you, know, you had to disassemble the gun or add trigger locks and keep it unloaded and all sorts. Of, and if you do all of these things, then if somebody breaks into your house, you're actually in real trouble because it takes you so long to get the gun into a workable state that you might as well not have it. So I, I'm not in favor of that, but I mean, locking a gun in a safe is really not very difficult. Yeah. And if you have children around, or you're likely to have people coming in and out, or you're leaving your gun somewhere where it could easily be stolen by someone who shouldn't have it, then yeah, I I, I really don't have a problem with passing laws that say you're, you're responsible. What, what do you think? Yeah, in principle, I think maybe we would draw the line in different places. I would, I would not support, I think, sanctioning people for um, crimes committed with guns that have been stolen from them. Uh, even if they're dumb and left them in the car with a car unlocked. Um, I don't think just because you leave your car unlocked, you're inviting um, someone to come take the gun. I guess, So I would draw the line of negligence maybe in a different place. But um, certainly, you know, parents uh, who have minor children in the house who uh, leave firearms unsecured um, bear some responsibility for what happens afterward. 
So you would draw a distinction, for example, between somebody who has a gun in the glove box of their car, they leave their car on the street, they go for dinner or whatever, they don't lock the car because they forget and the gun is stolen, and say, and this has happened, somebody who you know has a gun on them, they, they go to the bathroom, they leave the gun in the stall, yeah, and then they go home and they suddenly realize, my goodness, and then it's found by somebody. So is that latter case different? Yeah, you're you're right. It's difficult to come up with a real consistent way to draw that line. Um, I mean, I think I think it's a good distinction because the car is their property. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm just trying to trying to think it through. But I think we can all sort of um, we can all accept the general principle that if you have a gun, you have to be careful with it, and that you uh, bear some responsibility for what happens if you're not careful with it. So whether we say that means well, if you fail to lock your car, then it's your fault if it gets stolen. Uh, versus you've left it in a public place, which I think is maybe a higher level of negligence. Yeah. Well, that's why I mentioned it, because I, I think your point is a good one. For example, I don't know what the rule is in Texas, but in Florida and in a lot of other states, your car is deemed to be an extension of your home. Right. So, for example, I do not need a concealed carry permit to carry a gun in my car any more than I would need a concealed carry permit to carry a gun around my house. Once I get out of the car, I need, I need a permit. But uh, the car is deemed to be my domicile uh, under the law. So I suppose if you said, well, you can be prosecuted for not locking your car with a gun in it, uh, you would essentially be saying you could be prosecuted... Not locking your doors. For Right, which would be to invert the presumption of guilt, right? Because it's the person who's broken into your house who is, who is the guilty. So yeah. I, I can absolutely see that argument. Yeah. It's complicated. So, uh, yeah, in general, though, what do we think? What do we think about gun storage at home? I suppose it's very different if you live by yourself or if there are only adults in the household. You know, if you don't have children or you don't have children who live at home anymore versus having kids around. Um, But I suppose there's also some, you know, concern about just, well, do you have people over to your house? Do those people bring children with them? What's your responsibility in that situation? Um, You know, part of me wants to say, well, obviously what what needs to happen here is people need to be wise and use prudence and be responsible. And you know, when you get there, you've lost because that is that is not how things work in the actual world where people are maniacs and unreliable and irresponsible. So I don't know. It's a difficult one to sort out on a situation by situation basis, but even if we can agree on, yeah, and and that might be that might be how it would have to work. But I just I remember having this argument on uh, Morning Joe and saying that yes, it would come down to the details, but again, I I think that there is some culpability here, and I think that culpability is heightened um, the more likely it is that someone around you is to use a gun. I mean, for example, um, if you buy a gun for somebody who is a felon because they were engaged in illegal stock trading, Mm. that's obviously a crime. But I would expect a profoundly different sentence for that than if you buy a gun for somebody you know is a contract killer. Yeah. Right? I suppose so. I mean, not that a contract killer would have a problem getting hold of a gun, but... right. Or, or or trading stocks illegally. 
<laughs> you know, but you, you make similar sorts of arguments about other sorts of things. Like we all understand why there are laws against drinking and driving. Um, but then, you know, what about, well, you took a prescription drug and uh, it had an effect on you that was not something you could reasonably expect it to have from the warnings or it was stronger than you expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Or you'd taken it before and it didn't bother you very much, but you took it this time and it did. Or you're sleepy. Um, you know, you're, you're on a long trip and you were more tired than you thought you were. Um, that last cup of coffee you got was actually decaf and you didn't know it. Uh, you know, where do you draw the line on those things? It's obvious that, you know, we don't want people driving when they're three sheets to the wind or, uh, nodding off on heroin or something like that. But do we really want to make it a criminal matter uh, for someone to be driving a car when they are a little bit sleepy? Then of course we'll say, well, if that sleepy person veers into a lane and kills a carload full of children, we want to punish for it. Um, but that's not a matter of principle. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a consequentialist question. Yeah. So in theory, it should be the same, you know, kind of offense, whether someone actually ends up getting hurt or not, because the real issue is endangerment. Well, and that's why we have a bunch of really vague and broad laws like dangerous driving or negligence or conspiracy in other terms. Yeah. Anyhow, I just, I just, I look at that case and I do blame the parents to an extent. If the accounts are right, which seem to be that they just left it lying around. Yeah. But I also blame them morally because I take great care in my house to avoid that because I don't want my kids to shoot themselves. Sure. Um, let alone anyone else. Yeah. And um, whereas I've got a gun sitting on my desk at home, but um, there aren't children in the house. I mean, I wouldn't have it out there if there were going to be kids you know, coming over. But um, just a... Well, I have a gun in the drawer of my desk locked. Yeah, I think four of them. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> kind of where I keep. But um, yeah, uh, were there other subjects we wanted to talk about today? I think you had one other thing that was on your mind, but I can't remember what it was. Well, I wrote this morning about Whoopi Goldberg's absurd rant yesterday. Yeah, on the View. Why do you pay attention to this know. stuff? What's a popular show? I guess so. I know. I mean, someone has to pay attention to it, but like. Every now and then, like, someone will bring me some piece of celebrity news or something that's going on on something like The View. And I, just, I have a hard time working up a head of steam to care about it. But anyway, go ahead. Well, it, no, I mean, I think it depends what you're trying to achieve. So I, I, am I trying to convince Whoopi Goldberg? No. Do I think that Whoopi Goldberg can be convinced? No. Do I think that what The View puts out there is especially important no. Do I think the argument she made needs rebutting? Yes. Okay. And so it's a good... I mean, you wrote a, a fantastic response uh, to... Uh, and the topic was, was abortion as well. To the former National Review writer, whose name's now escaping me. He, he switched sides, essentially. Hmm. I don't remember this. He wrote about abortion. Yeah, I only do that 200 times a year, Charlie. <laughs> but this was, the, this was the one where he said a fingernail was oh, alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah, don't yeah, we yeah, care yeah, about yeah. that? Um, Catholic writer whose name escapes me, who wrote a biography of Pope John yeah. Paul II. That's right. Yeah, but that was the New York Times. It's much more respectable than the view, Charlie. But anyway. Well, it's a more respect, but probably less seen. Yes, unfortunately, I suppose. But the reason it was really good was because the arguments that he made are arguments you hear yeah, a lot. that's true. And they need to be refuted. 
So, and they need to be refused. So you're sitting at home watching the view, drinking a no, drinking a diet no. coke or a tab or something. <laughs> Maybe you know, eating some yogurt. And uh, I'm, I'm picturing you in a in a house robe and some fuzzy slippers, and you're watching the view. Well, the house robe and the fuzzy slippers are correct, but the view I wouldn't stoop yeah, to. Tactical fuzzy slippers. Anyhow, course, but, uh, exactly locked up in a drawer. So she took issue with Justice Alito's questions in the oral arguments in Dobbs. So that's your first problem. <laughs> Professor Goldberg. No, but do, do not take the hypothetical questions that Supreme Court justices ask in a legal setting as some sort of declarative statement to rebut. You know, this is a hobby horse of mine, but I hate this. I defended Justice Sotomayor, of whom I am no fan, as our listeners will know, from this a a couple of years ago, when she asked a hypothetical question on the question of uh, presidential power and immunity. And outlets across the spectrum ran this hysterical headline, Sotomayor suggests Trump might be a criminal. The case was literally about the president and the limits of, of criminal law. Anyway, so that's her first mistake. But the 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 question, rhetorical question that she took issue with was uh, his saying, the fetus has an interest in having a life and that doesn't change, does it, from the point before viability to the point after viability? And her response to this was, how dare you? Now, that's my, my least favorite response, by the way. Content, yeah. content free. But right, well, the content wasn't much better. She asked, "Do any of you men have any eggs or the possibility of carrying a fetus?" And then she said, "How dare you talk about what a fetus wants? You have no idea." And the thing is, Kevin, none of that makes any sense. First off, it doesn't matter whether Justice Alito is a woman or not. It's also a little bit odd that we've returned to this woman, 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 woman thing with abortion when we've been told for the last five years that men can get pregnant. But anyway, um, but how dare you talk about what a fetus wants you have no idea. What could that possibly mean? I mean, how could it possibly be controversial to suggest that an unborn child would be presumed to want to or intend to keep living? I mean, is she really suggesting that unborn children don't want to live? That we're doing them a favor by killing them? Is she suggesting that some want to live and some want to die? Or that the mother can intuit whether or not the child wishes to come into the world? I think they what do does kind that mean? of think that, actually. But um, go ahead. Well, no. I mean, these are, these are my questions. I, I just... What? <laughs> what? Well, you know, um, as I pointed out a number of times, and I, I know I'm a broken record on this subject, but people on the left like to talk about themselves as being the people of science and evidence and rationality. But on a lot of things, they're the people of magic. And on abortion especially, they are kind of magical thinkers where, um, you know, the intention of the mother is, you know, somehow metaphysically uh, determinative that if she wants this child, then that child's a person. If she doesn't want the child, the child's not a person. Right. Um, they have this kind of you know, neo-medieval doctrine of ensoulment and quickening and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, it's, 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 it's purely magical thinking. And, um, but yeah, they, they think of, um, a woman who was pregnant as being in this, um, sort of mystical position in which she is able to determine things in some kind of metaphysical way for the second party involved, which is of course the, the unborn child. Right. Exactly. So then she moves on. And she says, I'm fine if you disagree with abortion. I have no problem with that. My problem comes when you told me what I need to do with my doctor and my family. How dare you? How dare you? And the problem with that is the same problem we talked about on Wednesday. Yeah. Which is that it just doesn't fit here. You can do that on almost every question. And I do. And you do as well. It is totally reasonable to say... You know, I don't like heroin, but if you want to inject it into your face or whatever... It's totally reasonable to say, I'm not gay, I don't approve of gay marriage, but if you, you know, if you want to get gay married, whatever. Well, take something extreme like not... um, you know, body dysphoria, where it's sort of, um, right. you know, the version of being trans for people who think they're supposed to be amputees, and they have healthy limbs amputated in order to confirm this sense of identity. Now, I think that's insane, and... Um, I would certainly discourage people from doing it. And I kind of wish the medical profession would adopt a set of professional norms of not doing such things. Yeah. Maybe they could call it do no harm. Or but something. do I, yeah. But do I absolutely think that someone should be prohibited from mutilating their own body if they choose to? Not necessarily. No. So I can see, you right. know, a, a my body, my choice argument for that because it is your body. But when it comes to abortion, it's just begging the question because, you know, our exactly. contention is that there is a second body. that's not yours. If I thought it was just your so body, when she says, yeah, so when she says, I am fine if you oppose abortion, just not if you try and do anything about right, it, yeah. she's really saying, I'm not fine if you oppose abortion. And I, and I know that pro choices hate this, but it is quite similar logically to slavery in that regard. You just can't say, well, if you don't like slavery, don't own a slave, because you're not talking about the autonomy or the rights or the the freedom of action of the slave owner. You're talking about the other person in the equation. And the only way you can get around it is to say, well, I don't think that the slave is human, or in this case, I don't think the baby is human. And that's fine. But then you can't jump over the bit where, in this case, Justice Alito said, but doesn't the unborn child have an interest in living? You have to engage with that bit. Now, if your answer is no... Okay, I profoundly disagree, but that's the crux of our debate. Yeah. You can't skip over that and then say, if if you you know don't want to do this, don't do it. It just it just it's it's ridiculous, and and you especially can't do it and expect to be taken seriously. Um, by by people who've thought about this for more than about six seconds. So, you know, it, it, it greatly irritated me, and so I wrote it up. But unfortunately, that is actually the level at which the vast majority of this debate is held. Yeah. Well, we will continue to do what we can to uh, elevate the level of debate from time to time, I hope. Uh, I think this is probably a good place to wrap it up for the uh, weekend. Let's, uh, let's get this podcast out the door so that the vast enslavering audience may uh, enjoy it. <laughs> For the weekend. Talk to you, Charlie. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you next week.